You've always been fitness based, man. You've always been aware. I was going to say, did coming clean that that fit, the whole fitness thing? And like, I mean, you're an intelligent guy. You know, you know about chemical makeup of shit, the human body. Like, you took PT seriously. Yeah. You know, you're not like me. And my mates joke about it with like when your PT needs a PT because I've got no fucking idea. Oh man, <laughs> I ended up getting a coach recently, right? Because I want to take it to the next level. It's yeah. just strip away the old me completely. And I had a couple of people bring that topic up, like, oh, what do you need a coach? You're already a coach. I'm like, well, yeah, I know, I know my stuff, right? But it doesn't mean I can't learn anything from someone else. That's the point, that we're constantly going to be learning. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's very egotistical to think that I would know everything. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> hmm. Okay, so do you think everything you knew about fitness and all that, do you think that played a part? Like, what, going full circle... Right, you've come in, you've gone out the other end. Now you're, like, I mean, you're doing still, you're doing training yourself. You competing? No, no definitely not competing. You're not going to look on it. I'm not interested in it. Um, I think life is too short to be hungry, Dim. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to blow out again. Never. Yeah. Um, I'm taking my fitness seriously. I'm taking my weight training seriously because I, I mean I do have a lot of injuries. Yeah, I mean, if we want to talk about injuries, in when I was getting myself healthy again, I ended up getting hit in Centre Road by a four-wheel drive, right? Fuck. While I was on a push bike, so ended up tearing my shoulder, uh, destroyed my hip. So it's it's a wonder that I'm even actually like standing upright some days. Yeah. So pushing it to the point where I would be competing in bodybuilding or like powerlifting or anything like that, I would need to be on some serious pharmacology. Yeah. I was saying it to someone, I remember a while back, it was when I started doing fitness again, but taking it as seriously as I could possibly take it. Yeah. Like obviously, I'm not big into regiments, I don't, I'm not disciplined enough. It's not even that I'm not disciplined, I just don't have the time, man. Hmm. Fitness, man, to take it 100% seriously, you need time and structure, and my lifestyle, man, there is no, stru- the only structure is, I cannot sleep, I need to get work done. Yeah. That's the only structure. You know what well, I mean? like, it, there's things that are more important to you. Exactly. I just don't have the discipline and the time for to do it. But obviously, fitness has always been a big part of my life. This is the most unfit I've ever been in my entire life, and it's disgusting. I actually went to the gym this week for the first time since lockdown started, mm. and I did two days straight of just upper body and just a bit of cardio on the bike. Nice. Dude, I couldn't get out of bed yesterday. Oh, really? My arm, look at this. My arm can't stretch past that. Oh, I miss that pain. <laughs> but that, that's like the first hit of drugs. Yeah. It, yeah. But the thing is, the sickness in me, I went back the next day and just started doing curls, no. full weight. You know why? It's because I'm angry and disappointed in myself because I'm looking at what my you know, my maxes used to be. Oh, don't, don't never do that. You know that. what I mean? And I'm like, hang on, man. I used to warm up with like 12, 12 kilo dumbbells. Why can I? Well, I'm peaking at eight. You know what I mean? I get it. It, it hurts, man. It's, a, it's the ego, right? Yeah. It's the ego messing with you. Yeah. But when you're going back after an extended time, you got, you always have to start at the bottom again. I don't, have, but I, I don't have the patience for that. Because you know like you know what you oh, could yeah. do. You know, I saw photos of me from 2012 where I did Tough Mudder. And I'm like, How do I, I get puffed out walking to the server now to get milk. <laughs> <laughs> I did Tough Mudder, man, like 10 years ago. That's Once again, that's the ego, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was exactly the same way, right? Exactly the same way. I thought to myself, you know, when I was in my mid-twenties, I was, I was big, man. Yeah, like, I know. <laughs> I'd tell my coach, I'd tell like, people that I see nowadays, like, don't look at me the way I am right now. I was 
Like I, I remember even will tell you this, right? When I cracked the sheet, remember when I was dating? It? Yeah, I cracked the sheets. When I was on the phone to her one day at a phone box, and I ripped the phone box out of the ground. Ah, uh, like that's how big and strong I was. But after a while, I wasn't. And so, I mean, what am I going to do? Just go back to curling like sixty kilo barbells? I'd kill myself. I remember seeing those on like um, the facey days, like the really early <laughs> days, man. Like <sighs> just photos, yeah. Of like, how is that even possible? How is this man doing it? Mm. All right, so let me ask you. This is what I was sort of leaning before. Like, gone full circle. What can you put down your recovery to? I wanted my life back. I wanted me back, and I wanted my family back. I didn't want to go through life as that cautionary tale. Like, you know, this guy could have been this, but instead he became like a junkie or an addict. And like there's nothing else that he could offer, you know, his his peers or his family after that. I wanted to – that's where ego protected me, right? I couldn't let it go. I wanted to come full circle again. And initially I'd say it started as me trying to prove people wrong because people already had that idea about me like he's a junkie, right? And what, what was your goal? What was your end goal that you saw as in having, like, what you were working towards? I wanted my life back. That's it? Just to be able to say, I am I can be proud of who I am. Like, yeah, definitely. Looking back in the mirror, I guess. Definitely. Looking back in the mirror took a long time. A long time. And it wasn't just because the, I physically changed. It was until I could actually look at myself, look in the eyes, right, and say, okay, I'm proud of you again. Because up until that point, like as an addict, there's things that you have to do to survive, right? There's um, there's people you have to hurt, you know, whether it's physically, emotionally. There's there's people you have to steal from you know, to survive. You know, there's uh, I remember when I was living in my car and having to steal like salami and bread from uh, Safeway, man. You know, otherwise, you don't eat. I, I remember waiting at McDonald's, waiting for people to leave their food so I can go and eat it. You know, people don't understand how hard it is. It's not fun. No. At all. Fucking shit, man. And the only thing that I had kept that whole time while I was, you know, sleeping rough, so to speak, is a gym membership because I learned this trick from another homeless person. Because, man, it's a, it's a cheap way of having a shower, right, and occasionally having a nap because there were 24-hour gym memberships. So I would go in there at night time, you know, clean up, get ready for the day. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's a secure place as well. It's not like anyone's coming in there. Exactly. And how many people are really going to be there at like two in the morning, three in the morning? Not many. Except that guy that's probably like, you know, blasting his, you know, his body full of trend and fucking test. (laughs) (laughs) I'm jumping on stage in five weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, man. It's it's weird, man, because like, like I said, I've known you since I was like 15, so... I haven't heard, I've read about this, but I haven't heard it like full pelt. So it's sort of like a, a sledgehammer. Yeah. How do you feel now, like coming out of what you've come out of? When you look back, what is it that you, what do you take from all that? Look, I'm not going to be cliche and say I'm glad for everything that I went through because it's making me the person that I am today. No. Because no. if I could have it all back again, I, I would not go through that. That was traumatizing. That took years off my mental health. Right. And as a result of it, I know that I'm now at least three to four times more likely to die from suicide because I've attempted it so many times, right? So 
I'd like to say, you know, oh, you know, what I, what I went through really, it really defined the person that I am and I've helped so many people because of it. Well, yeah, I have helped a few people because of it, but it broke me. Yeah, the cost of it. Yeah, it broke me in ways that I didn't know I could be broken. I've said this many times, man. When I talk about my demons from, like, say, you know, being bullied in high school, all the shit that I've gone through up until this point. Mm. We're like, oh, you know, but, you know, made you who you are. I'm like, yeah, but I would rather have been just a happy fucking person. That damn straight. I would rather have had a normal fucking job, a normal upbringing, a normal this, a normal that, and not have had to work against the fucking, the tide every single time. Yeah, like, man. It's exhausting. People that say that sort of shit are people that have never felt like- True. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Too true pressure in their life, man. Yeah. Their type of pressure is like, you know, my coffee's not ready in fucking time. Yeah, first world problems. First world, like purely stereotypical shit, and that pisses me off. Anyone that says, oh, but that built your character, like, fuck that off. Who, who you say that to me? Yeah. Like, fuck me, man. What would, um, what do you reckon needs to be in place to avoid having this sort of thing blowing up and being in a, a pandemic, like an epidemic as, as it does? Like in the urban areas, gentrified areas and shit like that. Knowing what you know, because you said you had a good team behind you. You need a good support network, man. Like, if we're talking about prevention, like, you need education, first of all. Like, these kids need to be traumatized. They need to be shown all the scars and the ugly side of things, yeah? Not just the um, the romanticized, oh, yeah, we used to do this much fucking coke and, you know, we used to pick up on a Saturday night and live in you know, hotel rooms for $2,000 a night. They don't need to hear that. Right? They need to hear I lived, you know, on nothing. Right? I I robbed people, you know. I I was hated. I was persecuted. You know, I had nothing to eat. You know, I was gang bashed. I was kidnapped. Yeah, dude, I read that. What the fuck was that, man? Oh, the, that was the carjacking. Yeah, thing, what the know? hell was that? Yeah, that I'm was glad you brought it up. I completely forgot about. That it. That was interesting. What the fuck happened? So interesting. <laughs> I was I was at Oakley Station. I was on the phone to my now ex fiance, and I can't remember what had happened. Some something had happened, and um, out of the pokies come two two local boys that a friend of mine had ripped off. Right, and when he ripped them off, I was with him. I didn't know he had ripped them off, but you know, obviously guilty by association, right? Yeah. So these guys these guys just want to take their frustrations out on someone. Um, I'd, I've been awake like five days at this by this stage, so I had no fight in me. Yeah, I just went along with it. I'm like, fuck it, why not? Oh, I'm already worthless. Well, what else going to happen? So I had one guy like choking me from the back, and the other guy's like sitting there punching me in the face. And they, they saw by the end of it, like this this guy is is just giving up on life, right? Like, fuck it. This is they ended up shouting me gear on top of it and rolling me joints. And one guy's like, he knew it was a PT because making you write me uh, a program. I'm like, you're joking, right? <laughs> <laughs> he has since died, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Fuck. So, I mean, yeah, that, 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 was one, that was one time that it happened. Another time is when my partner, my fiance, maybe I shouldn't say this one. That's up to you. you can, I can remove it later if you want. So I was, I was sold to a a criminal network as a cook. Okay. Right? Obviously, I'm not a cook. I was going to say, are you a cook? No. I could, I could make really good cutters. That was about it. Yeah. But she didn't tell them that. 
and you know that we're going to give her X amount of gear for a cook. Okay, so I get a phone call, and being cooked that I am, that I was at that stage, I didn't even question it. And these guys are like, oh, come on down to this address, you know, we've heard about you. I'm like, oh yeah, my reputation precedes me. I, I, I don't mean to laugh at that. Yeah, it's just it, it is stupid. Though. It's not even your face. You <laughs> said it. So I walk through the door, and you know, when you walk through the door, and you see like a room with five or six guys in there, and all of a sudden you feel a shotgun at the back of your head. Wow. You sit down. Fuck, man. Yeah. So I was there for like two, three days getting the shit kicked out of me. Right? <laughs> They're wondering, like, why is this guy not making any gear? Like, we, we've beaten him to a pulp. And I'm like, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> shit. <laughs> to the point where I'm thinking to myself, I've got to get out of here. Otherwise, I'm dead. Right? So I dropped, a, I dropped a friend's name that I knew would get their attention. He was part of a rival group. So they look at me and go, yes, man, if, if you're not telling the truth, it's going to get worse for you. Luckily, I was telling the truth. Right? The guy that, whose name I dropped is the guy that had given me my dog at that stage. So he comes on down, and um, the doors just fucking swing open, like a moving moment. Grabs me, takes me outside. He's fucking. This guy's a scary dude, man. Lovely guy. One of my favorite people in the whole world, but scary when he got angry. As soon as we walked out. All I felt was this thunder punch to the side of my face. Ah. He goes, mate, he goes, never drop my name. He goes, I'm, happy, I'm, I'm glad that you're alive, he goes, but never drop my name again. I'm like, okay, <laughs> can we go home? <laughs> Fucking hell, man. Yeah. How far in, at what point is this before your rehab? This Detox, is, not your rehab. No, this was maybe like a year or so. Okay, so you were heavy in blood. Yeah. Um, I've got to ask, because you sort of mentioned it before about mental health, man. Are yeah. you seeking ongoing counselling for all that sort of shit? Yeah, definitely. Yeah? I ended up really connecting with um, a lovely psychologist that my um, solicitor introduced me to. Because he, he, he told me, he goes, we need to get a psych on board. And he needs to sign off. He goes, but first, you goes, you got you to go see her. Like, you, she can't just you know write like a bullshit statement. She yeah. goes, this, this woman's a professional. So I went there, and we we built a pretty good report. She um, she really gelled with me, and she was the first kind of person to tell me that you know, what I went through. It's okay; like it happens. It happens to people, yeah. and like what you do from here on out it, you know, is what's what's going to define you as a person. So she really she was behind me a hundred percent of the way, and um, I was seeing her for close to six months at this age. Um, she told me to go do urinary drug analysis weekly. I did that. And then she wrote like a seven-page report for the court. Right? And at the end, he said that unequivocally she believes that there is no chance that he could ever reoffend. And it's one of the reasons why I stayed clean as long as I have. That's massive. Yeah. Unequivocally, no chance. And even the magistrate goes, look, I understand that she holds you in very high regard because no one has zero chance of reoffending. like, I'm going to prove you wrong. And not even a parking ticket since then. <laughs> <laughs> Although recently, I mean, this is like the PTSD from everything coming back into it, right? I get pulled over going to train at the gym. This is going back during the last lockdown. So I'm coming out of John Street, you know, near the park, uh, Oakley Ground, and I see this police car going the other way. I'm like, oh, yeah. The sirens are going to go on. Once they scan my number plate, they're going to go on. 
and they did. They, they did a full U-bolt. They pulled me over. Like, here we go. I give them my ID. I'll go, obviously, you've run the plates. Yeah. Mind you, by this stage, I've already worked with a lot of police members trying to train them in how to deal with, you know, approaching people that are affected by ice, mental health issues. Obviously, I haven't worked with these two. We start talking. I go, okay, once again, I have to prove who I am. By this stage, one of the cops has come up with, obviously, his hand on his side piece like this, right? So the alarm bells go off in my head because you don't want to feel that. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fear that you don't want to feel ever again in your life because at any moment, if this person gets triggered, he's going to press the trigger. There goes your life. Yeah, you see it on the news every fucking day. Exactly. That's the question how they got there. Yeah. So... They're asking me about the car. Is oh, your tyres are bald? Like, is that really what you what you pulled me over? Because is there anything that shouldn't be in the car? No, your tyres are bald. They saw that from the side of the road. That's yeah. right. No, no, there's nothing that shouldn't be in the car. I go, I've got some maple syrup somewhere. And they go, it's because it's not. You know, I usually eat non-sugar stuff now. <laughs> I go, but you know, you can test it if you want. We we started having a bit of banter, and it was like it's okay after that. And she goes, oh, have you, have you used anything? One of the cops, she asked me. Like, no, I haven't used anything in seven years. And so, so why were you using? Like, I don't really have to answer this question, but I'll tell you. Like, I, was, I was having a hard time. I was a drug addict, and I pulled out my business card. She's having a look at it. And she goes, oh, thanks. She goes, so wasted your time. By this time, it was too late, right, because the PTSD had kicked in completely. So instead of going to the gym, I turned around and went home, closed the curtains, and I passed out for the rest of the day. Just crushed, crushed, because it was just another reminder right, that you can't escape your past. You just have to keep pushing. Especially, man, like, dude, just being from these areas, being Greek, like all the, even just that as a human being. Oh, yeah. There's a perceived notion of who we are before we've even stepped outside. Of course. If we're fucked up, that's all over. You know what I mean? That's fucked. Man, how, um... How involved are you in everything now, like as far as like your business and like mentoring and all that sort of shit? I'll put it this way. During the last two lockdowns, I took on clients for free. Yeah. I had to. Yeah. Because people were reaching out and I could see myself, I was struggling. You know, look, realistically, I shouldn't have done, taken on as many as I did because it took its toll on me to the point where I, you know, there was family problems that I had that I couldn't deal with properly at the same time sitting there going through like a serious bodybuilding cut with my coach, like being very gun-ho. Like, I've oh, seen your videos. Because we're, we're dropping calories. And I'm like, this is not going to work out well. <laughs> Mind you, I've got some guy like freaking out. And this is, this is what actually triggered me into taking on clients for free, right? Because one of my ex-clients reached out to me. He goes, listen, man, because, because of lockdown and everything, because I've lost my job, right? Because I've lost my job. My missus had left me. He goes, the only thing I know how to do right now goes, is, is sell drugs. He goes, I need to leave. because what do you think? Like, I can't tell you what to do, man. It's, it's totally up to you. Go, you know where it took you the first time. Right? Do you know where it's going to take you this time? It could be worse. You could never come back from this. But that's the level. Like, This is the kind of shit that was never reported on the news. Yeah. A- about the way that, you know, I mean, fair enough, they were saying that, oh, yeah. People are losing their businesses, but people are losing way more than that. Because to lose 10 years of sobriety, 
at big. So I took them on for free. And it was hard, man. It was hard because with drug addicts, you got to be on the ball. Because you, you, mean you let down your guard, it could bleed into your life too. Because you end up identifying with him. I'm, I'm an empathic person. Right? We sit here together. Like I'll leave from here. I've, I've got your energy for the rest of the day. Yeah. Dude, like I said, I thought I knew you, man. But like I did not know any of this. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, fuck, man. Like I'm carrying this. I'm putting it on my podcast for the rest, for forever. You know what I mean? As long as, <laughs> as, long as I keep paying the bill, it's going to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you mentioned before talking about alcohol. What's your relationship with alcohol? I'll occasionally have a beer. Yeah. Or maybe like a gin or whatever. I've never really been big into the alcohol. Like, you know, when you're young, you kind of have your daily ounce with it, you know. Yeah. You go out with the boys, you get plastered. Yeah. But it never really appealed to me. It wasn't something that, you know, drew me towards it. Like, oh, i got to have it. Like, if I don't have it, like, I'll start getting shaky or anything. So, I mean, I think I'm lucky in that respect. I am. See, that's the thing. Because it's very, very readily available, right? Oh, it costs. Whereas (laughs) whereas with ice and the rest of the stuff, I mean, you could kind of get away from it if you get away from certain people and certain areas. How are you going to get away from a bottle? It's like there's one in every corner. People, you know what really sort of bothered me was when I first moved out on my own back in like 2013, people assumed that I was going to be drinking the place dry mm. just because of, you know, whatever rep people thought I had. The irony is, is that when I moved into my own house for the first time, I literally stopped drinking. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There was no external pressures, man. Yeah. I stopped drinking. I had too much responsibility. And it's like, and I still say this, man, I was in Noble for eight, eight years, roughly, I not once got drunk in my own house. I had guests over, people drank, I hosted a few events, you know, but I literally never got drunk in my own house. Never. Mm. And people still didn't believe it. That's because you didn't need to, man. You had your own space. Yeah. You didn't need to escape from your own space because it was yours. A hundred percent. And that's the th- like last night, the other night when I went out with that mate, I hadn't seen her in a year and a bit, you know, maybe once or twice. We hadn't gone out. I knew that I would have any pressures of work like serious work that would keep me bound the next day no driving I'm like ah fuck it we just we sort of just went just you know balls to the, we just put our hands up and said nah like yeah. we, we've had a lot to catch up on you know, catch up <laughs> on and uh mourn for the last year and a half and it just got a bit out of hand but those days are far and few man like mm. far and few my own birthday you know i think i didn't get fucked up i did last time was years ago when's your birthday december it's coming up, huh? <laughs> well, it's coming up soon, too. Yeah, when's yours? November 27th. Same as Bruce Lee and Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> a speed freak and an acid freak. <laughs> Ta-da! You know, to this day, you remember the um, you know, the cryptic crosswords and then the who am I's in the paper. I still yeah. remember being, fuck, man, it would have been like 2005 or six or something, working at this place in Mulgrave, and we used to do it, the, the who am I, every day at lunch. And someone just got up and said, all right, I'll read it out because I usually read it. Someone else read it for once for that day. And the first question was, I was born in, in San Francisco in 1943 you know, or whatever in the year of the dragon. I just went, I am Bruce Lee. Done. <laughs> Didn't wrap oh, the points. Boom. Mark yeah, drop. That was the last time I ever played, man. Fucking hell. He was a speed freak. Yeah. Bad. He loved it. Yeah. Like, but you only ever read about the purity of his training and his diet. <laughs> he just rubbished it. You just shook your head. He's a, he's a cocky guy, man. <laughs> How do you die at that young from like 
An aspirin, man. That means your blood was thick as hell. Your blood gets thick when you're dehydrated. He was on like he was like zero percent body fat, like something oh, stupid. Be low, it wouldn't be zero. No, no, but it was like I'm just saying, like about four percent, five percent, fucking ridiculous. And for, for him to have strength at that low body fat, that says something, man. Because I'm telling you, <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, speaking as someone that's gone through like a, a mild, a mild cut, I would say, yeah, not even like at a bodybuilder level, like the way the bodybuilders actually do it. Like I said earlier, I hated every single second of my existence. <laughs> I woke up and all I wanted to do was eat. And every second that I wasn't eating was like hell. I'd be waiting for my coach to like message me back. I'd message him at three in the morning on the, on a the Tuesday, right? Cause that was a check-in. Obviously this guy wouldn't check it until like about nine o'clock and he'd get a message back going, I'll touch base with you later. I'm like, what do you mean later? I don't even know how many calories I can eat today. I've dropped this man, this much, you know, weight. At nine, like six, seven, eight, nine p.m., he'd message me back. Okay, like, let's go through your, you know, everything that you've gone through this week. I'm like, you motherfucker. <laughs> I've waited all day, man, all day. <laughs> <laughs> so, getting back to Bruce Lee, <laughs> he would be, um, if he wasn't using anything chemical on top of it, I doubt he'd be very happy, chappy. Because <laughs> that guy was strong. Oh, he was strong and he was cognitively. Like really switched on yeah. for someone that was that lean. Now, you could argue the point that it was probably genetically blessed to be that lean. But, you know, he looked kind of fluffy when he was younger. Fluffy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fucking hell, man. What a journey. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a long time, man. What are your thoughts like moving forward from where you are now? Look, at the moment, I'm trying to amalgamate my program as much as possible, right? I want it to be one part exercise, one part counseling. I find that people open up once they're, um, they've been broken down a little bit. And a good way to do that is through exercise. I found this out at the rehab when I was taking the clients to the gym, man. You put, put them through a really tough session, and then you ask them some questions while they're trying to catch their breath. They can't lie to you. They don't have the capacity. They don't have the faculties to lie to you at that stage. And some of them just open up by themselves, you know, because they've got those endorphins falling through the body. And it's really, like exercise is really important in recovery. So good. You know, burnt off all those fat cells that are carrying all, all that junk that, you know, went in your body over these, those years, man. i got a question, man. What would you say mm-hmm. you would need? Like, say, for people right now that are either struggling with addiction, whether it's booze or drugs or whatever, what do you reckon these people need? They need a mentor. Yeah? They need someone to believe that they can do it. Because going through that lifestyle, it kind of gets reinstated over and over in in your head that, you know, you're a piece of shit. You'll never be any better. You'll never do any better. Because of the people that you hang around with, and sometimes by you know by your own self-talk. So when you've got someone that like sits there by your side, saying to you, you, "You're better than this," like you can do it. Sometimes that's, that's all you need. I'll be honest, man. That touches home like bad because, I mean, I mean we're from the same sort of cultural background as well, man. We're around the same age. Would have dealt with the same pressures and expectations. Yeah, you know, people like me and you. By this age, we should have had like three kids, two houses. Oh, yeah. I've been told that heaps of times. Standard. Like, it's a standard thing that we hear. And if, if you're not married, you're useless. Yeah. Like, like, that's it. You could, dude, you could be 
$300,000 a year job, you could be doing everything, but if you're not married, you're fucked. Yeah. And so for me, and like based on everything that everyone that I had around me and all that sort of shit, my life honestly started changing when I got myself two different mentors at two different points, pretty closely together. Yeah. And they were completely unrelated, you know, to me, unaffiliated, third parties. And they were both the first people to say, you deserve more than where you're at. You're capable of more than what you believe you're capable of. Mm -hmm. And you need to start assessing what's in front of you because you definitely deserve better than what you've allowed yourself to sort of accept. 100%. And I started doing that and it slowly started, started, slowly started cutting out toxicity from around me, people distancing myself. And I can honestly say that, you know, when I went to Europe, I disappeared in 2009 for three and a half months. I was meant to stay longer. I ended up coming back for, for work. As soon as I came back, after you had that break of three months, and it's just like, okay, I don't miss any of you people. Yeah. You need to go. And then once I got these two mentors on board, slowly shit started tracking because it's like, fuck, man. Like, I can put work towards something and I am worthwhile, you know? And whether I'd fucked up or not in the past, to predetermine certain things about me, what people perceived of me, whatever, it didn't matter because it's like, you know what? Redemption is a long road, man. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And then half the time, people that think like you're seeking redemption from, they're not deserving of it anyway. No, exactly. That's the key thing, you know? And I've, it took, it's taken me a long time to learn that, man. I mean, even now, you know, I'm only starting to accept that I've done things that, a lot of people strive towards, but I never even valued it because I was never told it was valuable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Man, I had, I'll be honest, man. I had an auntie once turn around to me and say, you know, your, your parents are very proud of you. I'm like, well, it'd be nice for them to say it to me. Mm. You might have fucks, fucks with you? I think the first time that my parents told me they were proud of me was in the past couple of years. Yeah. I mean, they've kind of, they've said it over the years, right? But to hear the old man go, oh, in the petty funnels, like that choked me up a little bit. I've been in, in a forty-year-old man. Yeah, oh, it's it's insane, right? You, you sometimes you just want to hear those words because when you're young, I, re- I remember this. Is, this is one of my most vivid memories, right? And this this thing scarred me when I was a kid. Going to going to school and then coming home, and the old man had a, like a letter from the bank. He didn't want me to read it. Like, I didn't know like finance and stuff like that. I was well, like, 11, 12 years old. You know how uncommon that is, man. Mm. Being a translator for your parents, you're like 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sitting there trying to translate this thing, and he goes, Get this is telling me, Mrs. Holio. Get the bureau I'm like 11, 12 years old. Like, I don't understand what this thing's saying. So, why are we sending you to school? Why are we paying money for an education? Yeah. Seriously. You want a 10 year old to know what a financial paper is? Exactly. Why didn't he learn it? And that, that fucked with me for years, right? So, you kind of reinstated this thing in my head that. Okay, it's all about money. Like money is where I'm supposed to be at. Like I'll, I have to make money in any way possible, which led me a little bit pushed me towards the drug dealing side of things, right? Because that's easy money, and it's very easy money. If and then you, you know, add that whole reverence sort of thing where you're going to be looked at. And oh yeah. Light. And then when, you know when you're when you're using and you're very outgoing and ah when you're coming down, or you've decided to quit, right? And trying to do it on the slide so no one understands it. You pussy said, like, you know, how can you be like this? 
So it reinforces in your head, okay, well, no one likes me when I'm straight. That's, that's a sort of, it's taken me a long time to have these conversations with my parents. Um, I sort of drew the line in the sand with my mum a little while, like years ago, a couple of years ago. Yeah. She was complaining about like, you know, um, you know, money and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, don't have assets. Typical wog shit. Yeah. And I remember saying to her, hang on. I remember when we were kids, we went on holidays nearly every year. Like, yeah, we didn't go to Greece every year, but we'd go to Queensland or just trips, long weekends. You know, I go, you chose to do all that sort of shit. I go, I can't afford to do that now. And I work full time. And she goes, I remember she said to me, you know, well, that's what we valued. You know, I go, and more power to you. I go, Mm -hmm. you valued attempting to keep like a family unit together and experience something, which, you know, I know a lot of people like our age, especially Greeks, their parents never did. They worked seven days a week running a fish and chip shop or fucking whatever it was. Yeah. They never went away for, for weekend trips, whereas my parents made the effort to do it. Having said that, they spent money on shit like that. Yeah. So they didn't buy a third house you know, to rent out or have money just stockpiled for when they retired or when their kids needed it later. I go, how is it my fault? How are your financial decisions my fucking fault or my problem or my responsibility? Mm. I was a kid. You chose this this life for yourself, not me. Yeah. Same with the old man. Like when I, I pulled him up, like, and I don't want to punch down on him. You know, he's not in a circumstance to to be punched down on. But I made the, it was a it was like a it was sort of my old man realizing that I was an act I was a grown adult now, and I didn't care like his hardships, whatever he thought they were. Bro, I work just as fucking hard, mm. and I work a lot harder now than you ever did. Because I work seven days a week. And what, my phone doesn't stop ringing. Yeah, man. What they don't understand is that stresses have changed over time. Exactly. And what was monumental for them back then is nothing for us now. Oh. Because there's stresses that we have to deal with on a daily basis that make you know the things that they went through look insignificant. Yeah. Right? And there's stresses. Like, personally, I, I can't get into a, a relationship right now and raise a family. I can't. I can't pass on that kind of generational trauma to them. I, I refuse to. Yeah, I'm the same. Because I know, like, there's things that I'm still dealing with, right? And how would I, how would I do that that with a partner, dude? With, with kids, I've said that every time someone tries to pull up the marriage card or the kid card to me, mm. like, don't you want to? Sign? It's like, mate, the ch- generational trauma that you're talking about. I go, I've had to identify and work towards getting rid of. Just even being able to communicate, man. Yeah. Like we said, Greeks don't talk, ever. There's none of that. No, <laughs> ever. You know? Which is weird now because my old man's gone really attached to my dog. Actually, my my first dog that I had, the pit bull, that thing, that that broke me once again in ways that I did not know I could be broken to him yeah. because that dog gave me unconditional love when it came out of like um, addiction, okay, to the point where we – I'm going to tell you this story now, where I came out of the bungalow one day after a long run on the treadmill, and I see the dog lying on the grass. I'm like, this, this is not right. Take it to the doctor. He's bleeding into his chest. Right? And, the, the, and he, he's a pit bull, right? So you know, he's, he's got fight in him. He's still, he's still trying to like, you know, go for a walk and Not all this sure kind of stuff. Do. Long story short, after a while, this is where I disconnected with religion too, okay? Because the old lady's like, oh, I'm Miss Nicholasia. Okay, okay, let's go to church. Let's let's pray for the dog. Okay, let's pull all our faith into the into faith. 
dog ends up not doing too well. Uh, and um, they didn't have the balls to tell the doctor, we need to euthanize the dog. He fell on me. Now, up until this point, um, I've identified with the dog as myself. You know, we've both come from like you know abusive backgrounds, kind of you know, me from the drugs, the dog from being mishandled by people. And um, my promise to the dog was, I'll never hurt you. Okay, so at that moment where we had to euthanize him, that was me breaking that oath. Yeah, right, because no one else could do it. So I start bawling my eyes out in the middle of the vet. Right, broken, completely broken. The dog rips at the IV where they're trying to like euthanize it and comes to me. I'm saying this right now, and I'm, like, I'm actually like I've got goosebumps all over my body. They 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 tackle him, they put him down, and he. You know, like when you see the light just fade from someone's eyes, it was like that, man. I saw that, and that and that messed with me. So back back to the psychologist after that, couldn't couldn't deal with life. And that's when I saw my my dad break. He it was the first time I've seen like my my dad's father had passed away and he didn't even cry like a single tear. When the dog died, like he broke for months and months, and then. Um, I was uh, scanning the, the RSPCA one day because a friend of mine wanted to get a dog, and I saw a dog that looked exactly like him, which is my current dog, Chevy. And um, he'd been he'd gone through a bit of abuse. This dog as well, right? They found him on some rural property with like a thirty kilo chain, but he was, he was still smiling. So I'm like, okay, this this going to be my dog. Like, I'm going to grab this little guy. We went down there, we grabbed him. He's uh, he's got an attitude problem already. I'm like, yeah. He'll fit in well. Um, and my old man got so attached to him. Like to the point now, if if I'm outside having like say a coffee right, or a cigarette and I'm sitting there with the old man, he, he probably won't even talk to me for two, three minutes. As soon as the dog comes out, bueno chevismo. I'm like, you motherfucker. Are you capable of love this whole time just not towards me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, as, as they're getting older, they're getting a little bit wiser, but, you know, damage is done. I refuse to believe that respect has to be paid to the older generation just nah. because. No, nah, never. You, if you want respect, you have to give respect. Yeah, you've got to show that you're willing to, to deserve. You deserve to. That's right, to yeah. be respected. Yeah. Age is, is fuck, no, fuck that. I've, I've gone into so many arguments with the old wogs at barbecues, man. <laughs> They look at us like we've got it all easy. It's like, motherfucker, I took three hours off to come to this barbecue. Mm. I'm going back to work as soon as I get in my car. Like, do you know what I mean? I get it. And it comes back to that working smarter, not harder shit. <laughs> you gotta- <laughs> they, they, they can't wrap their minds around it, man. No. Like, unless you're physically broken and twisted into a pretzel or a rope, like, you haven't worked hard. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I used to, like, my drug habit flourished because I was working back-to-back shifts. I'd start Wednesday night, security, and I'd come back Monday morning the next week. And we're talking like working at front doors of nightclubs, you know, inside nightclubs, working at the commission housing in Collingwood where people were chasing each other with fucking syringes and samurai swords. And for $14.60 an hour, man. I, got, I, I wasn't making big bucks, you know that's what I mean? Minimum wage now for sixteen-year-olds, you know and, and that's and that was basically just a bit before overtime back then. <laughs> People don't know how easy they've got it. You know what kills me is when the old wogs talk about us wasting money and all that sort of shit. It's like, hang on, man. What am I going to do with it? I've, yeah. What am I? What do you want me am, to be doing? Am I going to take it with me when I die? Yeah. 
Like, have you had this one? Okay, oh, kind of meant to be the OCA, yes, and like, we did all this for you. I, yeah. I didn't ask you to. Yeah. Like, enjoy your life, man. Enjoy your wealth. Like, you know, what are you going to find afterwards? I'm like, I didn't ask you for anything. Yeah. What well, we criticize you when you go. Exactly. Like, when, when it's your time to go, I want you to be happy and have lived your life. Not the, not, not the complaints. Yeah. Not, not be thinking, oh, you know, we need to leave something for our kids behind. If I'm not able to make anything for myself, then I don't deserve it. Jackie Chan said the same thing about his kids. He Did goes, he? I'm not leaving my fortune to my kids because if they can't make it themselves, then chances are they're going to just fix it away anyway. Yeah. It's 100% true. Every, I think every person within their means and ability should be able to leave their own form of legacy behind. You know what I mean? And that's why, dude, that's why I fell out. Big reason why I fell out with religion years ago. Big reason why I fall out with the whole fate thing and bullshit and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, you can't expect a kid in Ethiopia who hasn't got food to suddenly change the world. Because mm. chances are they may not get another fucking meal before tomorrow. You know what I mean? It's like, fuck off. How does your logic fit into that whole equation? I just, look, I fell out with religion a very long time ago. I mean, yeah. the, the dog part of it was a nail in the coffin, no pun intended. Yeah. But I just can't get behind um, an all-knowing deity that is concerned with whether people believe in him or not, or him or her or not. Yeah, you know, like, you know, We are the chosen few because we believe in this deity, but the you know, hundreds and millions of other people that are doing really well, you know, are going to go hell. Yeah. Who are you kidding? Or they can just repent on their deathbed and go yeah, well, back oh, into the club. Of course. Straight away. And it all happened in seven days, you know. Yeah, and don't forget the universe is expansive as it is, but we're the only people that matter. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I would sooner subscribe to the alien ant farm theory than that. Alien ant farm theory? Yeah. Which one's that? The fact that we were rapidly evolved by aliens from uh, extra, you know, extraterrestrials from outer space yeah. to be their servants. For me, that holds more water. Because <laughs> it could be scientifically based. Yeah, well, it's not disproved, so disprove that. Get behind it. <laughs> Fuck me dead, man. What do you reckon... Um. As far, what do you reckon people, like, you know, getting the support behind them, all that sort of shit, what can someone do that's literally struggling, let's say, from alcohol, drugs, you know, getting the help? I think first step would be go see a GP. Get on a mental health plan, yeah? Because when, once you connect with a, a good psych or a psychiatrist or whatever you connect with, you can start to tackle a problem. Like, if, it, if it's still not working, there's plenty of mentors out there, man. There's plenty of free mentors online. There's plenty of services like the anti-ice campaign. There's Lifeline you can call you know, if, you, if you're really in a depressed mood. I know they've been inundated with phone calls recently. Like I think they had something like five or six calls every minute during the last lock during the announcement of the last lockdown, which is unprecedented. This is people that are struggling like with suicidal thoughts. My concern is like the taboos, like we said, like culturally, you know, people talk, not talk, opening up and shit like that. What do you reckon we can do to break that? I think we need to educate the families. Yeah? Yeah. And the families nowadays are becoming a lot more um, flexible with that because I've, I've actually had to do interventions with families recently. And um, one of the examples that I give you is a friend who's, I'll, I'll, I'll keep confidentiality no, out of it, right? 100%. Um, he asked me to go and speak to his parents because his brother has been experiencing addiction and all that. So I'm thinking, I said, okay, so what's he using? He goes, oh, he's not using it at the moment. 
Like, so why am I coming to your house? Don't you think that's going to be a, a little bit, you know, counterintuitive? They wanted me to approach the guy, you know, come over for a dinner and suss him out and take him under my wing. I'm like, if he's not using, there's, there's not real much I can do, right? And plus, he needs to ask me for my help. I can't be the one that inf- you know, imposes my help. And then it, it kind of gelled to me while I was having a conversation because it's about there's two parents. There's the, the mom and the dad, the brother, the sister, you know, the brother-in-law, and everyone was like really concerned, right? Everyone was there except for the addict. And I kind of started to zero in on what the actual problem was. Like it was the parents, yeah. specifically the mother, couldn't let go. So they were under the – like they wanted to go away sooner or later on the holiday and – Make sure that he's all right. Like, okay, take him with you if you don't trust him. Oh, but we want to go on a, like a separate holiday. Well, don't take him with you. I love your nonplussed face. Mm. It's like, well, what do you want, <laughs> what do you want from me? Exactly. Like, <laughs> and they had so much trauma behind them because they felt like they, they failed him. Yeah. Like, they, he, he started doing drugs because they failed him. Like, okay, this is what we need to tackle right now. And I told my mate, right, I go, look, the first person that we need to help is not your brother. It's your mum. Because once you're talking to me, she started crying. I go, listen, you go, you've done nothing wrong. You've done nothing wrong. Like it's, it's not a reflection on you or your family or, you know, the things that you've sacrificed for your family. Some of us just use drugs and it catches up with us. It doesn't mean that you failed in any way. And she starts crying. And I had to reiterate it over and over until I broke her. Right? And afterwards, being empathic as I am, right, I went home. I felt like shit. Like all these different people's energy all over me. They felt great. They sent me a video, like they're playing fucking table tennis and stuff. And I'm like, oh, my, my parents have, haven't felt this good in ages. I'm like, fantastic. I'm just, right. gonna, I'm going to go hang myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a vessel for everything that they released. You know what I mean? But you, sometimes it's just the family needs to be educated, Dim. And once the family is educated, then we can have these open conversations with, you know people that are struggling and I think the home is where um, rehabilitation really needs to happen and kicking someone at home is not always the best idea sometimes it's the only option left right because if someone doesn't reach rock bottom they're not going to pull themselves up but rock bottom isn't always needed it's not you shouldn't have to experience rock bottom sometimes you just need someone to help you yeah, you'd think that if a person was in a better place physically and mentally than broken, he'd be in a better position to actually get clean. Yeah, and just get get go forwards and leaps and bounds as opposed to the slow crawl and learning how to walk again. Fuck yeah! I think another thing is the self is the denial thing. You know, expectations that we place on ourselves, expectations that have been placed on us, not recognizing that things are certain are addictive, and that are forms of addiction. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like people that just self-medicate on shit. I've been, I'm guilty of it. You know, mm. I used to self-medicate on stuff, zonk out, you know. But people that maybe drink to excess every single night don't even know it's actually bad. You know what I mean? They might mm. see people, maybe they saw their old man doing it. That's the only way they know how to actually deal with. Monkey see, monkey do. Man. Yeah, exactly. So it's breaking that, breaking that as well, man. And like you said, education and all that sort of shit. But then, you know, where does it start? I mean, you take a typical mid-30s dude now. He's got all these taboos and all these ideas of what strength is, you know, pride, personal pride, all that sort of shit. 
how do you actually go around circumnavigating that now? How, how's one? How's a guy meant to actually do that? It's hard. Yeah, I know. That's a, like. I think it just comes down to communication. If you look, you're going to get to a point in your drug taking journey where that facade of "I'm strong, I can shoulder this by myself, and I can hide this from everyone" that just breaks away, right? And you will ask for help now. Where you ask for help, that's going to be the issue. Because if you if the, your household's not educated enough, you're not going to reach out to them. Because you know you're going to be faced with resistance. Right? And at that point, you don't need resistance. You need acceptance. You need to know that these people have your back no matter what. And unfortunately, we can't do that sometimes. Like m- myself, I, once again, I wish that my parents were educated enough that I could have reached out to them and said, you know what, I'm struggling, man. Like, I'm really fucking doing it tough. Like, I've got myself into some shit, you know. I've I've experienced this, this, and this. I need your help. But I had to be completely broken before that happened because they, they didn't understand any other way. They needed to see me like that. Do you think there's a point when the responsibility and onus does fall on the person with the addiction, whether it's drugs or alcohol or oh, whatever? definitely. I mean, we, it starts off with a – see, there's different models of addiction, right? There's the disease model and there's the choice model that everyone talks yeah. about. I personally think that they're one and the same. It starts with a choice and ends off in addiction, like a disease. It's like, I'll be honest. Like, I've got people in my past who had an addiction, right? Or were addicted to you – know, I won't name the substance or whatever it is. Man. And they reached out – for help, blah, blah, blah. And I, I was there all the way through yep. until the point where it was like, you're not taking any personal responsibility, responsibility. anymore. None. Yeah. And I'm I'm literally, uh, it's 4 a.m. in the morning and I'm fielding phone calls. How much more am I going to do this, man? I go, I can't keep, I, I go, I'm no, breaking no. now. No, you can't. You can't, you, know t- I mean? you can't take all that on, right? Yeah. At some state, look, you, they have to, ac- if they're asking for help, they have to accept responsibility. There's no two ways about, about it, like, this is one thing that I've said to all my clients. This isn't a place that you're going to come to and think that, well, I'm going to engage with Nick and I'm going to get away with you know, getting a court reference so I don't have to go to jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's not how this works. Right? You engage with me the moment that you fuck up right? more than once. Because I can understand like a single sleep up, right? Or yeah. even a second sleep up. Yeah, done regret- that. Like, yeah, it's going to happen. But if you keep like mistaking the fact that I'm your counselor for your mate – that's going to just, you know, let things wash away, you're sadly mistaken. I'll throw you in the, in the slammer, man. I have no qualms about that. You have to hit them with the reality of the situation, so Tim. I always say that people don't realize until they haven't, it hasn't cost them enough yet. Once it starts costing them shit they actually care about, whether it's like a child or whether it's, you know what I mean? Oh, I've seen families get torn apart, right? And, the addiction still continues because the consequential thinking is not really there yet. Right? It's cost them something, right? But if there is underlying mental health issues, they can't understand that it's cost them something. It's a it's a very um it's a very tricky. I don't want to call it a disease, right? But we'll, for the purposes of this conversation, let's call it a disease, right? It's a very tricky disease. Because you, you can't just define it in a single way. Like it's each person's addiction is completely different. 
like we said earlier, what came first, chicken or the egg, right? Some people will get into it because of mental health, because it might actually balance them out initially. Or other people, other people will develop mental health issues because of it. Like I, I didn't know that I had the ability to be paranoid, almost to the schizophrenic side of things, you know, until a few years into it. Before that, I was fine. Like I had, I had a couple of issues, like anger issues and stuff, right? But it wasn't until I'd been awake for you know thirteen, fourteen days that I thought, oh, well, I'm hearing voices. That's not right. I remember, I remember a time I was in, um, I was in my house. I was in Noble, and I was in the kitchen, and I was just trying to prepare something, like I was cooking something on the stove, and uh, this was at my height of like anxiety and reliance oh. on coding because I was just shaky as fuck. Yeah, and I remember going up and down the kitchen sink to where the, the stovetop was and triple checking like every dial, every like I was, it was like I was becoming OC, oh, yeah. like hard. And I was just doubting everything that I was doing. I'm like, this is wrong. No, no, wait, this is, no, no, this is too hard. I just kept going back and just got in my head. Because you're trying to gain control of that second. Yeah. And I remember just stopping and just sitting down and like I was shaking and I'm just like, this is fucked. Like, this is, what am I doing? Like, what am I second guessing myself here for? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? I still remember that vividly, man. Vividly, like triple checking dials on a fucking oven, man. And that's the that's the skinny of it. That's the start. But I, I remember checking my floor for close to three, four hours, trying to find a little speck of meth that I dropped. That's how that's how badly like lo- looking at the ground and picking up things that weren't even meth, like oh fingernails and skin, and trying to like smoke them in the pipe. Shit, OCD stuff. How are you feeling? You good? I'm great. <laughs> I feel relieved. I didn't um I didn't want to what's it called? Drag you down a, a what's it called? A, a path you couldn't be fucking exploring. But this is No, no, I I find this stuff um How do you feel c- like c- cathartic? I was gonna say it'd be form cathartic. I know when I talk about it but people people ask me what I have done to like sort of move on from you know, my mental health issues, PTSD, all that sort of shit. And it's really just undoing everything, man. Mm. And I find the best way to undo it is talk about it. You have to unpack it. You know what I mean? Because the reason why we suffer from it is because we try to avoid it. Yeah? Yeah. Avoidance of uh, sensitive topics is is toxic. Because it just uh, compounds the problem because then you have guilt, embarrassment. These aren't things that you want to keep long term. How do you feel like revisiting everything? Like, I mean... It goes up and down, obviously, depending on what you're, you're dealing with at the time. But I'm just saying, like, generally, when, you, when your mood's not fluctuating, how do you feel like unpacking all this shit? Is it just cathartic every time? Not every time. Sometimes it can be um, triggering. Like, there's, like we said earlier, there's things that I wish I didn't do and that I didn't go through. But it really depends on the person that I'm speaking with and their way that they, um, they are approaching the subject as well. Like, I'll give you an example. Recently, I mean, I've told you, obviously, you've read, may have read my story that, you know, there is a, t- a suicide attempt at some stage, right? So, recently, a family friend called me up and he had seen a suicide in Peran. A person had lost everything to lockdown and decided he wanted to you know, kill himself in the middle of Peran, wherever the hell it was. And he goes, oh, that's such a selfish act. Because how could he do that? I'm like, hang on a second, you don't know this person, how did it affect you? How do you know this is a selfish act? But why do you think that's a selfish act? In that person's mind, at that second, I go, let me speak to you, or someone that's been down this dark path, right? The thing that's going through your head is not, 
I need this pain to end. It's everyone will be better off without me. Yeah, the, every time. Yeah, it's it's about not making other people suffer your existence. And you're sitting here telling me that it's a selfish act. How do you know this person? Have you have you lived their life? Have you suffered what they've suffered? Or do you know what their you know what their presence at that moment like was doing to them? Do you think you can teach empathy? I don't think so. As in, I think people are either empathic or not. Where do you reckon it's formed? Just literally, just growing up, formative years. Yeah, some people are just born more sensitive than others. Yeah. Um, I I found that it really opened up for me when I was going through addiction. And I'm, I don't want to sound like new agey or anything, right? Because you know, there is a line we have to draw somewhere. somewhere. I'm just picturing with your crystals right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sitting uh, naked on the floor with a candle. I, f- I found that people's moods, and I was able to read very easily. It, it was almost like a feeling, yeah? Like I'd walk into a room and I knew how people felt straight away. Whether it's, you know, subconsciously reading body language or micro-expressions without even knowing what the hell it is or picking up some kind of energetic field off them, I just, I, I, I could feel it. It was, you know, and it was explained to me later, because that's, you know, you're an empathic person. You can feel what other people are feeling. Like, okay, and I get that. I get that to a point. Right. Um, what do I do about it? Because I can't keep, you know, having other people's feelings invade my life and me not being able to shake them. So, yeah, I, over time, I just I tried to to stop being empathic. Didn't work. So then I had to kind of switch things around. Well, if I'm going to feel like this, I might as well speak to the people. Uh, see what I mean, this is how I got into counselling. I am, um, yeah, I've had people say to me that, you know, I'm easy to talk to or blah, 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 blah. You're like, very easy to talk to. It's, I think it's because, A, I grew up pretty isolated. Not isolated is in that I wasn't, I didn't feel love around me or whatever. But I think because I, I grew up under my sister's shadow for like most part. Mm-hmm. You know, she looked like she was two, three years older than me. I was shunned into keeping my mouth shut basically out of fear. And whereas I knew I had a lot bubbling inside me, I just didn't. I had no outlet. You know, I had no voice. And then, yeah, you go through PTSD, you get bullied, all that sort of shit. You, you close yourself off. So I, I moved into things like, you know, music and media, you know, mm. drawing and fucking making tunes and all that sort of shit. So that's how I got it out. And then after high school, wanting to sort of go the opposite way and set myself up to be the best version that, that I could be, I wanted to be around a network of people. So, I've, you know, even when I've traveled and shit like that, I've always wanted to talk to people. Something interesting that I keep hearing is that, you know, you're easy to talk to, blah, blah, blah. You ask these questions. Like, hang on. Do you have anyone in your life that asks these fucking questions? Well, no. I'm like, then what are you, what are you not changing for yourself, man? No. I'm surrounded by people now that ask these fucking questions. You know, you want to surround yourself with people that challenge and push and provoke. Of course. Because that's what's going to lead to um, personal development. That's, that's how you level up. Exactly. You can't keep dancing around subjects. Yeah. Subjects, state of mind, all that sort of shit. A hundred percent. A hundred fucking percent. And that's what sort of really frustrates me about people who think they're, they they think they're next tier human beings. 
because they're surrounded by fucking morons. They're surrounded by yes men. Yeah. Yes men or Neanderthals, man, that just don't care, have no interest in self-development, uh, not even barely self-preservation. You know what I mean? And it's the same kind of in the, um, in the rehab field too, yeah, because a lot of the counsellors, they end up empathising too much with the addicts to the point where they end up letting them get away with everything. Uh, another example I'll give you. We had one guy, he just kept stuffing up. It's, he, there's no, like, we'll call him for the purposes of this thing. Let's, we'll call him Matty, right? Matty just couldn't get his shit together, man. He's the kind of guy that, like, you know, the relationships between clients were forbidden. Like, he'd get into a relationship. You know, it was forbidden to do this thing. Like, he'd do it. To the point where we were kicking out other addicts because they weren't getting along with him. But that's how much he had the other counsels wrapped around his finger. I didn't care for that. All right, so we called a meeting one day and we were all sitting there and they knew, they knew how I felt about the subject. And um, they were all looking at me like, oh, you know, we're, we're going to give Matt another chance. And he go, what do you think? I'm like, do you really want to know what I think? Because personally, I think he needs to go. And I think that you need to stop trying to be his mother. His mother put him in here for a good reason. Like he needs to start getting his shit together. He doesn't need to be mothered again. And when rehab and all that fell up, because you know that place fell to shit, right? The director ended up going to Paris for a holiday, came back and shut the place down, right? But at the end of it, like I had a chance uh, to speak with Matt, and he goes, "Man, because I, I respect you, because you didn't take my shit, because you fathered me the way that I was supposed to be fathered, because the way that my father didn't father me." Man, I um, last couple of months I've been sh- looking through a lot of my old music and shit like that, just going through some of the old stuff and looking back at some of the stuff I've created. And there's one line that I always come back to. It's from a track I just freestyled off one night. I was writing some verse. I can't even tell you the state of mind I was in because I don't actually remember doing it. I just know I've got the track. And the opening line to it is, I wake up and say, fuck it. This life doesn't cut it. I'm not bluffing. It's done once I work pills into my budget. And I, I sent it to someone in the States. And I'm like, man, what do you think of this shit? Like, I just found it. He goes, man, that's that's fucked. He goes, that's too broke to die shit. Yeah. And I'm like, when the fuck would I have ever written that? Because that is so far away from where I am now. Do you know what I mean? And so it's these little reminders. And sometimes I look at the date and it's like 2015. I'm like. Man, that's like when you get those memories from Facebook, right? Yeah. And you're like, what the hell was I thinking when I wrote that? Yeah. But then that's the thing with mental health. Some days I wake up. And that line triggers, and I'm just like, fuck. Like, that's how I feel at that very fucking point. Mm. Despite everything that I've actually achieved. That's PTSD, man. Yeah. And that's what's scary, man, because on paper, when people look at my CV, if they don't know the trauma behind everything, on paper, people are like, how can you possibly be depressed? You've got all this that you've done and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I'm like- It's not that simple. <laughs> it's not It's not black and white. People exist in gray. Yeah. If I haven't heard my parents tell me that they're proud of me, who gives a shit about anything else? Well, you know, if I don't have the 2.5 kids that I'm meant to have by now because that's what society has deemed important, does it matter that I'm gainfully employed or have an open relationship with my friends? You know? Mm. Nah. I never understood the 2.5 kids. Like, <laughs> where's that, where that 0.5 come from? Is it like a midget? <laughs> Sorry, just like, I don't know, we're, we're touching on like a serious subject there. 
I'll be honest, yeah, the, this has been a, dep- a depressing chat. It's almost like three hours. I actually have laughed like twice. That's mad. Yeah. I didn't even realize. I know that's what happens when you come into here, man. This is what happens. People get sucked into the vortex. It's addictive. <gasps> you did not say the vortex. Why? <laughs> Why? Now, the, the vortex is, um, I don't know how to explain this to you. It, it... Take your pants off if that helps. <laughs> Let me toss it up. I'm, I'm Greek. I'm not that Greek. <laughs> the vortex is a, a a kind of visual that we're using back in like at, at the worst times. Like when I don't know how to explain this, man, without sounding like a crazy person. Try. <laughs> Tell me about your mother. <laughs> like when when shit would go like really bad, it would be like the the vortex is here. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like sucking you in. Yeah. That's what it was like. It felt like, and one and one night it felt like we had quantum jump between worlds. Me and this person, man, that we're talking. Yeah, and we're driving, and all of a sudden, he goes, "Man, we we just stepped through the vortex." He goes, "There's no one else here," and no shit, there was no one else. We were trying to get in touch with people. Probably were too cooked to realize that you know we may have been calling the wrong person. <laughs> you just. You're trying to dial Jim, you're dialing John. <laughs> uh, you, you know the point where you like you want to make a connection with someone, but no one's answering. Yeah, and you think to yourself, okay, well, no one gives a fuck about me. I'm stuck in the vortex, and that was. And when you said the vortex, I just like it popped up in my head all of a sudden. What do you? How do you counter triggers, man? Hey, how do you counter triggers? <sighs> it's hard sometimes, man. Sometimes you just can't. Because they've been building up for so long, like micro triggers throughout the day, that when one in particular hits you, like you just floor you, right? And you just got to ride it out. That's the way I see it. Other times, you just have to be mindful. Practice a bit of mindfulness. Just kind of remind yourself of how far you've come. Um, the, the positive things that are in your life, the positive impacts that you've made in other people's lives. And try to talk yourself off the ledge a little bit. Yeah. That- like certain sounds will trigger me. Uh, and like certain loud, I can't, I can't be around screaming kids. Really? Yeah, screaming kids for some reason trigger me, hardcore. Maybe for different reasons. <laughs> like it, it's it's enough to like send me like out of that environment like straight away. I can't I can't do it. I really can't. Or if somebody's somebody's attitude becomes all like ah like like that over and over and like it it will. It would trigger me to the point of rage. That's what triggers me, man. Indifference. Yeah. When people act indifferent to me, whether I'm here or not, yeah. that's when I get triggered. That drives me crazy. That's when I yeah do destructive shit because it's just like because yeah. I grew up like in that. Yeah, place. dismissed. Yeah, being dis. I hate being dismissed, being outright dismissed. And I've said that in the past to people as well, like people that have tried to break, like just be dismissive or you know indifferent to me immediately after say even just some stern words. Like if we're just having a bit of conflict, yeah, conflict is inevitable. You you need need conflict. You can't just be agreeing with people all the time. No, no, conflict is inevitable, and conflict can lead to you know greater resolutions about shit. You know, it's it's a sharing of ideas and ideals or whatever. Mm. But when someone dismisses me and is indifferent to me after that, as in like, well, I don't care if you're here or not. This means so little of my time. It's like, nah, fuck you. Like that, that that doesn't sit well with me. How can you say to me that I'm important, but Dismiss after me. an indiscretion of whatever it is, even an in, a, a difference of opinion, I'm now in, you're now indifferent to me as a, a fucking person. Sorry, bro. Yeah, that that sets me off in a spiral, man. Like, ah. especially when it's someone close to you. Mm. 
Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And they've they've initiated this conversation, right? Yeah. Because because they they want your opinion. Yeah. And when you give them the real opinion or the truth, what they yeah. want to hear, but they've built up so much cognitive dissonance that they don't they, they, they can't actually accept it and they dismiss you like like you're nothing, like you're yeah. a scoopidi, right? Yeah. That is enough to drive me crazy. Like I'll I'll burst through the wall like the Kool Aid Man. <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Fuck man! Look, we've just touched on three hours yep. just now. All right, we'll wrap it up. No um, problem. Look, man. I want to say honestly, man. Like I get. Obviously, I haven't had your journey, right? But I know the whole mental health dance. Like you said, talking yourself off a fucking ledge. That for some of us, man, that's every day. That's every fucking twenty minutes. Of course. You know? And like I'm, I'm telling you, safe space. This is the safe space. You ever want to call, man? Fucking talk shit by all means. I'm glad yeah. we had this chat. Um, Thanks for having me. Nah, man. I'd be look. I'd be more than happy to come back if you know oh. anyone that wants to have a chat regarding mental health, whether it's fitness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For I'm, sure, I'm man. down. Dude. I'm, I'm down like a clown, Charlie Brown. <laughs> <This> is, <laughs> dude, well, this is up now, man. Once I save it, obviously I'll let you review it like a standard. I always let people review shit before it goes up. I'll do my best to edit out whatever has to be edited out. But, like, man, I didn't know this about, I knew, like I said, I knew some some of this about you, but I didn't know the extent of, like, your, your counseling and, like, all that sort of shit. Man, that's who's doing God's work. You know what I mean? In my fucking eyes. Thank you. That's who's doing God's work. I hate this fucking, I hate the saying God God's work. Yeah, like, man. No, because if he was doing, if he did his fuck, if he existed, he would have done his work himself and wouldn't have to be, Dealing with his shit. Mm. Or oh, oh, how about this one? He works in mysterious ways. Get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> He's working through you at the moment. Get sucked. <laughs> I'm tired. I need a day off. Bad. Doesn't exist though, yeah? Because the shit's still, like, that's the thing, man. Like, I've got a lot of friends that are social workers, counselors, you know, all that sort of shit. And it's like these poor fuckers, are, like you said, man, you become a vessel for all this negative energy because you want it to be transferred because you know how to, you know how to deal with it, you know? And, People get tired, man. People get fucking tired. See, you end up getting run down, and for everyone else, it's just like Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. And that—that's really what gets me angry, man. Like, the, the, these are the conversations we have to be having, as opposed to glorifying the wrong fucking shit, pushing wrong ideals. We need we should exactly. be more to make things easier, man. Hey, and like I said, I'm available anytime you need me. You're a fucking legend, man. Uh, I know this, but you know, <laughs> it's nice to be acknowledged. Uh, I'm acknowledging it. I'm telling you that right now, man. I'm fucking acknowledging it because, you know, we can't, like we said, we come from a culture where we don't get patted on the back. Yeah. And this shit isn't valued. It's like, no, fuck you, man. This changes lives, man. This changes the trajectory of someone's existence. To be honest, you know how, how good I feel at the moment after this chat? Oh, good. I feel fantastic. To the point, like, I've, I've missed you. I'll be, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I've been seeing you online, like, motherfucker, why isn't he, why doesn't he, like, allow comments on his, uh, on his oh. comments? You know why I did that, man? I did it because I got, found myself, okay, it's really weird. Yeah. I found myself cutting that off because I found myself becoming addicted to social media. Okay, right? so the dopamine hitter. I hate social media, all right? And I cut off Facey, but then sort of supplemented it with Insta, right? <laughs> like, legit. And then I found myself just, I'd engage in these conversations and shit. And I was always going back to the, I'm like, I don't want to be doing this anymore. Mm. So I just went through a period where I just shut it off. Completely. And I'm like, it's good. I post my thought. Those, my, you know my Instagram feed. 
Yeah. And it's all just personal memes and bullshit I create, right? And I'm, I'm always looking for the um, the Kenny Loggins uh, <laughs> pictures. Every time I post, I'm like, oh, he's going to like it. <laughs> I just, and so I, it was good. Like it, my Instagram feed is just a bomb site now for me to just go through and laugh at stuff, and it makes me happy. Right? I, I find a joke that I post, and like, eh, that was actually funny. It was good. Yeah, I pat myself on the back. Then I read, I was watching something, and I can't remember who it was. I think I may have mentioned it on another podcast, but it was a, it was either Dave Chappelle or, fuck, I can't remember who the, it was a figure in Hollywood or like whatever, like a comedian or something. Mm-hmm. And he said, read the comments. He goes, read the comments. Like he goes through, he said that he goes on YouTube and watch and looks at comments by people, you know, on his videos and his material. And he says, don't shy away from the comments. Criticism is going to be everywhere but it will help you learn, grow, appreciate, you know, your own work, appreciate people that appreciate your shit. Yeah. You know, there's a lot more hate than there is positive, but both will be both something yeah, valuable. And so I remember thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like you can't stray away from the comments. Like you need comments. Of course. Because it's it's that interaction that's going to grow whatever it is you're trying to breed. Maybe one day I'll have my profile on on private. <laughs> We're not there yet. Sooner or later. Yeah. Well, honestly, like that that's where it started. One crime at a time. Yeah. <laughs> I can't handle everything, man. <laughs> but it's weird because, like, yeah, I'd, I'd messaged you about coming on. Um, fuck, I can look at my messages now and find it. But it was during lockdown. Yeah. And then when you started sort of talking about it and I looked up your page, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, how has he just sat in the reeds and not come on? I've posted about my podcast a hundred times. Where have you been? I've been everywhere, man. <laughs> I've been everywhere. I've been stretched in so many different, you know, directions recently to the point where I started a course and then I, I, had to, I had to quit almost straight away. And it took me forever to actually quit the course. Like This is how bad my PTSD and anxiety was during lockdown, right? I didn't have the mental fac- faculties to quit a course and I just kept paying for it because I had, I had too much on how many clients do you actually see at one point, like on your roster? <laughs> That's a long sigh. Yeah, man. <laughs> you just look flushed. It's just <laughs> because it's it's never really a number. Like I could take on two today, today, right? By next Friday, it could be ten. And as a case manager, we're dealing with people with real complex problems with com- comorbidities and stuff, man. That ten feels like twenty. Right, and by the next week, half of them could be in prison, or two of them could be dead. Yeah. Actually, there's a question: How many long-standing sort of interactions? Like, I mean, they're not friendships because you're a mentor. I have a few actually, yeah. and I have a couple that I'm really proud of. One girl that I met going into this rehab who was just as bad as me, who is now studying behavioral psych. Fuck, man. So I, I, I literally drove her to every. Monday and Friday, do her AOD courses, right? None of the other client, uh, uh, counselors believed in her. She's just doing it to get out of trouble. I stuck with her, man. And now she's campaigned for um, spent convictions. So, you know, spent convictions, right? More people that have gone through drug addiction and have been arrested and the record's all fucked up. So she's campaigned for rights. She's been on TV campaigning for rights. She's campaigned for women's rights, domestic violence. She's studying behavioral psych. I'm really proud of her. Fuck. She's amazing. How long has that 
Surbain then? Like it's, it's, been, it's been since 2017. Ah, so literally your start of like... Yeah. Fuck, man. And another guy that... He ended up leaving the rehab when it shut down. His parents called me up because, I mean, his parents were well off, right? But the fact that him and I had a good report, like, it was really helpful for him. They engaged with me. I took him to the gym quite a few times. But this kid was like a self-cleaning oven. Like, he already knew what needed to be done. He just needed someone to kind of, like, push him along and kind of, like, believe in him, which I did. He already had the tools. Now his parents reach out to me on the regular, going, oh, you know, you helped put our family together. I'm like, I did nothing. He did all the hard work himself. He really did. I was just there. Like, you didn't even have to pay me. I would have just hung out with him. Like, he was, he was a cool kid. You know, and those two I'm really proud of, man. I have other ones, but they come and go. You know, like, uh, occasionally they'll be doing all right, and they'll be like, not doing too well. But these two are 100%. Like, they'll, they'll, they'll cut from my rib, so to speak. <laughs> you know? That's good to hear, man. It's nice to have like a success story. Definitely, definitely. Because you, you end up getting a lot of failures too, man. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't – sometimes you, you you feel like it reflects on you as a mentor or yeah, like coach. Yeah, a parent who thinks that they've yeah. failed their kid for, you know. Pretty much, man. Yeah. Except when you fail as a mentor, like people die. No shit. And, we've, and I've had that happen too, man. Yeah. And that's, that's when you shut down for ages and you start reassessing things. But you know it's not your – Oh, look, definitely. Because, I mean, I've been an addict, so I know how you know, addicts think. But sometimes you can't you can't help it. Because you do identify with these people. I mean, these, these are my tribe. I don't identify as an addict, but I understand them. You know, I don't excuse their behavior, but I understand it. All right. Let's wrap it up. Let's make this your final thought. Just one thing. Yeah. All right. Talking directly to people out there that have got issues with either substance abuse, whether it's drugs, alcohol, whatever, communication, you know, um, uh, emotional sort of instability and hindrances and shit like that. What would you say? What can you say directly to these people that may not be able to, may not have the tools to actually cope or don't even know what they're coping with, but know they have an issue of some kind? I would have to say, um, look, reach out. You're worth more than this. Uh, this doesn't have to be your final destination. Uh, things things do get better. They really do. And I know it's not like the wisest of words, but it's sometimes the only thing that you need to hear, man. Life does get better. It does not have to be like this. Yeah, because some people get used as currency in that industry. You don't have to be used like that. Yeah, you, know, you I- don't. You don't have to be abused. You don't have to suffer alone. There are people out there that want to hear this. Like, you don't have to take your life. Matt, it's it's fucking massive, man. Thank you. That's all I can say, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Hold up.